0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Project Red podcast. I'm very excited to be here. My co-host
1: James is here as well. How are you doing, brother James? Hi, Brian. I'm really good, thanks. Really excited about today's guest and the wealth of knowledge he's going to bring. Awesome, awesome. Today's
0: guest is a friend of ours as well. His name is Bart Walders. Bart has completed a bachelor's degree in physical therapy and three master's degrees in clinical health science philosophy and philosophy of science and technology after starting out as a blogger in 2018 bart sold his business and has now moved on to functional medicine consulting bart how are you brother
1: hey man i'm doing
2: very well a beautiful day in the netherlands here so excited for the podcast for of today
0: Awesome! Awesome! Great to hear. So, the first question, first of all, what I want to know is, what is functional medicine consulting?
2: So, functional medicine is basically a approach of medicine in which um, quanti- uh, quantification and measurement really is central. So, instead of just assuming that there's a one size fits all approach that you can apply to everybody. Um you at least try to get some data on a client and then help that data inform the health strategies that you're going to apply. So um an example would be uh, the breathing capacity of a of of a person or uh certain nutritional deficiencies which which they may or may not have. So um it's, it's very, so if you look at the internet basically, and if you read a blog article, then it's really common to recommend a whole list of supplements to, uh, to people. And even, even today with all the, 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 with the virus, you can see that people are recommending zinc and then, uh, vitamin C and then maybe you whole elderberry and a whole lot of other stuff. But the problem with that is that if, if, Somebody already has very very high zinc levels, then supplementing with more will be actually detriment, detrimental to your health and then um, that basically degrades the results that you'll be getting so uh, for that reason, data is important, and the data basically informs what and what health strategies you will apply okay um so
0: you mentioned like um, gathering data and you know you said like um you said breathing capacity or something like that. Um, can you can you give us a maybe just a few ideas on on the technology that you use or, or what kind of um, data points you're looking at when you're looking at a client?
2: Yeah, that's a very very good question. I must say that is, this approach is not developed by myself, but um, a mentor of mine, uh, Dr. Anthony G. Beck, he has taught me a lot about this. Uh, I was already well going in this direction with my blog. Uh, Writing about, about different topics, and I'll 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 come to the data in a second. So I have talked about uh, noise pollution, about air pollution, about uh, different diets, etc. So um, with regard to that, for, for instance, uh, yeah, I know that you, that you and I have been talking about uh, London, for example for example, uh, Brian. Mm-hmm. I met you in London last year, and. For instance, there, uh, there there's many data points that you can um, get access to. For example, the amount of sound, sound in an environment. Uh, in terms of air quality, you can measure uh, particulate metal le- levels and other pollutants. Um, in terms of diet of a client, you can measure what... Um, what their nutritional status is, so iron levels, potassium levels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> and these, um, well, breathing capacity, one uh, which you specifically asked about. For breathing capacity, you can do, um, there's a very simple test, uh, a control pulse test, which measures how long you can basically hold your breath until you've got the first sign of discomfort. And for very, for many people, that's not really good. So um, that also informs you about how somebody is typically breathing. And if they're a mouth breather, then usually that control passes, the outcome on that pa- control pass test is not really good. And that's then informs you that that is an area that you need to work on with, the, with that person.
1: That's interesting, okay. Bart. And you talk about data points there. What sort of core tests do you look to get your client through in order to get that, to get that holistic view of the body, whether that, that's looking at blood, hormone, or toxicity levels? You know, What are the core tests that you're looking to put a client through?
2: Uh, some of the more, more core tests are at least a... Um, nutritional status that's really important because um if you don't have that data then it's just uh it's just a shotgun approach. Uh, different people will do different will, will do better or worse on different diets so there's no really one size fits all approach there. Some people will do will tend to do very well on a high fat diet. Some people actually do much better on a high carbohydrate diet. That's also ties in with their mitochondrial status, the way their mitochondria work, um, certain nutritional deficiencies that you can have. So um, if you've got a vitamin B1 deficiency or magnesium deficiency, that might inhibit uh, how well you are able to metabolize carbohydrates or fats. And that then uh, determines what kind of diets a person is put on or... Uh, what kind of supplements they need to take?
1: Okay, is that a DNA test you'd look at um, in terms of how they would metabolize certain foods, and then obviously you're looking at blood analysis to decide what deficiencies they actually do have in their body.
2: No, it's not a um, it's not a DNA test, and the reason for that is that the DNA testing. It can be useful, but usually with the DNA that, or at least at this point, it's not possible to really test well whether genes are expressed or not. So basically, um, even if even if you've got a, um, a gene mutation which affects your methylation status, status for for instance. If that gene is uh, or set of genes is not expressed, then it won't really affect your biology in that extent. So the test for the nutritional status I'm talking about it's called a neutrophil. Um The only problem with that is that you really need to be taught on how to interpret the test. So even if you get tests yourself without guidance, then it's you won't get full. Um, the full information from it that you need by looking at the labs, uh, the way you'll get them back, basically. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Um, what was the name of that test bot? Uh, it's called the Nutrival. Okay. Uh, how do you spell that?
0: N-U-T-R-E-V-A-L. Ah, Nutrival. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll do some links in the show notes with uh, everything you talk about so that people can go and, uh, look into it and research themselves. Um I have to ask you a question now. This is a a very controversial question, but I have to know your opinion. Uh what do you think of the carnivore diet?
2: It can be equitable for some people, um although in the long run it also tends to um create nutritional deficiencies. But I will say that some people will will do very well on a meat-heavy diet and um, yeah, removing all plants can be beneficial in the short term at least because you can feel very really well. But in the very long term, it's not an approach that I use very often. But I'm not excluding the option either. So um it's so very much on the fence. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but it's not so. That, so on the one hand, I'm not saying it's it's a useless diet that should never be a uh, be tried which is what most of the mainstream is saying but on the other hand i'm also not saying it's the perfect diet for everybody and we should only eat meat and um almost independent of context recommend the diet for everybody to try because i know as a fact that some people some people will get worse on the carnivore diet some some people also get much better on carnivore diet but it depends on context basically yeah
0: yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, uh, you know, we've we've already mentioned this a couple of times in previous episodes that uh, I was a uh, very strict carnivore for a long time. I don't know if I ever told you this story, Bart, but um, I was a vegetarian for a very long time and I got very, very sick. Uh, I had severe joint pain. I had severe digestive issues. And then, you know, long story short, I, I found my way onto the Bulletproof diet, uh, learned about uh, Bulletproof coffee. Uh, eventually, moved into keto. And then, of course, when uh, Dr. Sean Baker was talking about the carnivore diet on Joe Rogan, um, that's when I first heard about it. And I was like, this is absolutely crazy. But, um, you know, I went after, you know, looking around and reading a little bit and, and seeing all these other Instagram influencers doing really well on the carnivore diet. You know, I gave it a bash about two years ago. Uh, I spent about six to seven months strict carnivore. And the results were absolutely phenomenal, man. Like, that's how I got my health back. That's how I got rid of all the joint pain. My digestion is back on top. I've lost a lot of body fat. I've put on a lot of muscle. I'm back to working out. So, you know, I, I'm the same as you. I, I don't go around telling everybody they should do the carnivore diet. Um, but for me, it's been absolutely spectacular. You know, I'm I've, I've nearly two years into it. I'm now keto carnivore is how I describe myself. So I eat uh, avocados uh, and a lot of beef, mostly beef. Um, And then, you know, once every three weeks, I'll have a carb reload where I'll just like, you know, I'll have the sweet potato fries. or I'll have some peanut butter toast and all that like comfort food that I, you know, miss from my childhood. I'll do a carb reload once a month probably. But yeah, for me, it's been a spectacular diet change
2: yeah that's perfect to hear and when i when i met you in london i think you were also uh, eating beef all the time so i remember that and uh, yeah absolutely incredible the story about uh, vegetarianism etc so my point is basically that some people will tend to do better on a diet that's leading towards vegetarianism or full vegetarian others will yeah, uh, tend to do very well on a more carnivore type of diet. Uh, it all depends on the context of the person. So
0: Exactly, exactly. And, and I mean, that, you know, and that's I what, don't, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. carry on.
2: <laughs> and that's where it's different from many other approaches in the sense that um, I'm not saying that everybody should eat a paleo diet. I'm not saying everybody should eat a repeat diet with t- tons of fruit juice and uh, that kind of stuff. It depends on the context,
0: basically. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, man, and and I and I completely agree with you. Where it's it's not one size fits all, but I've got to be honest. Like I'm I'm biased towards you know a very low carb, high fat, high protein diet because and this is only my experience. So it's you know it, it's neither here nor there. But in my experience, when you know when I go on my travels and I meet people, blah blah blah, and you know, diet always comes up or veganism always comes up. It's such a hot topic, um, and you know, I'll admit it. Like first, I like get triggered because you know I've had such a bad experience with plants, so I always want to like jump down their throat and, and tell them my horror story about plants. But I, you know, I try and stay cool, and am I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say 98% of the time, whether I'm talking to a vegetarian or a vegan, eventually they reveal the truth that they're not actually that healthy you know so the conversation will start with um oh yeah i'm you know plant-based been doing it for you know seven months one year two years five years ah it's going great no problem no problem and then i'll say yeah yeah you know i did the same but um you know my joints started hurting and i had bad digestion and then they'll go yeah you know what i'm actually bloated all the time um you know, I have I have pretty bad digestion, like my knees are sore all the time. And then I just go, hey man, those were the symptoms that I had. And I didn't realise it was the plans because I, I believed so much that vegetarianism was the way forward. And then they, yeah, I always see like this little little sparkle in their eye and they go, Geez man, you know what? I never thought of it like that. I'm gonna look into it some more, you know. So it's <laughs> that's just my experience. I'm sure there are some plant based people out there that are in perfect health, but um, not in my world um, but can, can you tell us a little bit more about your background in in health and wellness and, and how you kind of got to where you are and why you decided to, to study it so much
2: yeah so basically about 50 years ago i'm 33 years, years old right now but when i was 17 i really started uh, working out in the gym but Yeah, pretty insane, actually, uh, training five times a week for two hours a day, uh, total overkill. I would never recommend that to anyone anymore, uh, especially not clients. If you've got health issues, you don't need to train that much. But that's something I believed, uh, that more is better. Uh, I I also started reading about dieting, etc. So, uh, yeah, I've basically been... Uh, strength training since that time uh for 10 years may, no for 50 years but uh, the first 10 years were really intense and now it's well more managed basically so no no more very long workouts of hours uh, in a day because yeah that will break you down over time um i also started studying physical therapy um after after I really got into strength training, so I've got kind of got a background in movement, etc. And yeah, for all these years, I've basically been reading about dieting, um, different health research perspective. And a few years ago, I think about 2014, 15, so maybe five years ago, I also started reading more about the environment and uh, light, for instance, or noise or air. And that, and how that affects your overall health, because these are very frequently some of the missing pictures that people overlook when they try to improve their health. So most people, if you talk to them online or see people interact on Facebook groups, the only thing they're looking at usually is what kind of diet are you following, what kind of supplements are you taking, maybe prescription drugs in some instances, but. The environment that people live in that's still very much underappreciated today
0: yeah um you you brought up a lot of great points there um you know something a bit like the, the light environment is obviously something that uh, james and i are quite uh, interested in you know we've obviously red light rising with the red light therapy um but i know on a personal level james and i have you know been you know been blue blocking using blue blocking glasses for a long time to block the blue light and you know we're not gonna i don't think we're gonna get into blue blocking in this episode just because we we are going to do an episode in the future like in depth about it but what i wanted to ask you about is noise noise in an environment now this is something i know like personally i just it just pisses me off if there's constant noise around but maybe you have a, a bit more of a, a scientific um angle to how detrimental noise is in our environment
2: yeah so that's maybe a very interesting point about this is that if you just do a basic uh, Google search, uh, yeah, then you then you'll find all kinds of research on noise pollution and health uh, from the European Union, from the WHO, even though they've been discredited somewhat, but uh, yeah. <laughs> everywhere basically, if you're living in a big city and there's there's then. Very usually there's always a background level of um of sound and once sound becomes um f- well maybe to phrase it physically harmful then then it basically becomes noise um you don't not need to consciously hear noise it's also possible that Um, for example noises under your hearing threshold uh, with a very low frequency measured in hertz though for for instance from from windmills these emit uh, infrasound which is very low on the um, uh, on the hertz thresholds and you can't consciously hear them but still that noise affects you so if you're if you're sleeping at night near a um, or env- environment where you have wind tur- turbines, then that can really mess up your sleep. So that's one of the points um, why I don't just focus on light, but also um, basically try to consider the full spectrum um, of noise, EMF, uh, lights, the air that you breathe. So... But just to get back to the noise stu- stuff, um, I know from research that in in several cities like uh, whether it's Beijing, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, London, that you could you have continuous uh, noise levels of about seventy to even ninety d- decibels, and the normal amount of background noise in 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 nature is like uh 30 40 decibels and the problem with that is that it's not a two or three fold difference it's basically basically a logarithmic scale so for every 10 decibels the loudness also goes up 10 fold so you're basically in a situation where there's uh, a thousand or ten thousand or one hundred thousand times as much noise, which is basically or sound, which is basically vibrations uh, that are emitted through the air that, that, that affect you. And even during the, during the day, if you're exposed to that, that, that can basically lower your amount of concentration, it can increase cortisol levels so that you're cons- cons- uh, constantly anxious. But at night time, you basically you, you want uh, the sound level to be lower than f- 35 deci- uh, decibels. So, once it's higher than that, and in many places it's like 50 or 60 or 70 de- decibels, then you will have an, a, a really uh, big impact on your sleep quality because you'll have frequent awakenings at night, uh, you'll have sh- you have peaking cortisol levels at nighttime, even though cortisol should be going down at that point. Um,
1: so, what strategies can people adopt to try and mitigate that impact of living in a city? You you could look at white noise or devices to mask it or earplugs. But what do you recommend for clients as protocols to try and improve, you know, stress levels and evening noise levels?
2: Yeah, it, it's complicated but uh, earplugs can be one uh, very good solution to lower the exposure um, even though it's not the perfect solution because the vibrations that hit your body can still affect cell function at other places so um, it can go as far as really isolating the um, the room that you're sleeping in. Um, so thicker walls, you, you, can, you can also sleep in a different room because thicker walls will uh, remove some of the sounds. Uh, it can involve really making sure that all of the, um, all of the difference between the outdoors and indoors is airtight. So sealing everything off that will reduce noise levels. Because, well, of course, sound uh, propagates through through the air, and if you've got, if you open up your windows, and the sound can really, or if you've got, um, or if windows are not really well sealed off, then more of the sound will uh, will come indoors, and then ruin your sleep quality at night. But it doesn't even need to come from the outside; it can also come from the inside because some people are really. Uh, some people are sleeping near a fan, for for instance, or they they've got a device in the room that's beeping all night, or and and people can actually get addicted to to the sound of the fan, even though it's detrimental to their sleep. They they might not be able to sleep without it unless they're uh, getting off that for some time. So um, yeah, many many strategies can be uh, applied there, but yeah. The easiest thing for to get a good indication of how you're doing in that area is basically to uh, download a, a decibel meter app on your phone. Uh, you can you can basically download it for free and get an indication of how you're doing there. So that will also make you more aware of your exposure and then later when you're maybe in nature or doing some exercise in nature at a place where it's really quiet and get some measurements there to really notice the difference in your exposure there.
0: Amazing. Um, So you said that the, the limit that we should be looking at for our sleep environment is 35 decibels or lower. Is that what you said?
2: Yeah, so 35 to 40 decibels or lower is perfect for sleep at night. It depends. The standards differ a bit. The European Union has a limit of 35, I think, but other institutions in the U.S., but I'm doing this from memory right now, so it might not be 100% correct, have limits of 40, but Even there, uh, the statistics basically say that like 30, 40, 50% of people have to have excessive noise levels at night, preventing them from sleeping perfectly. So, uh, yeah, that's,
0: that's really (laughs) interesting because, um, you know, us as biohackers, you know, we use that word a lot. Um, you know, I've, I've hacked my light, my light environment, I've hacked my sleep environment. Um, but I. I, kind of, I knew that noise pissed me off and, and stressed me out, but this is really interesting. I'm going, to, I'm going to download one of those apps and I'm going to measure my, the sound in my bedroom. I'm going to measure tomorrow morning when I go work out because you know, I, I live you know, deep in nature. I'm very, very lucky. Um, so I'm going to measure that. Um, that's super useful. Um, I, want to, I want to get into a little bit of gossip with you, if you don't mind, really quick. You yeah. mentioned uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization, has been discredited. What do you mean by that?
2: Uh, it seems that the organization is politicized a bit, a, a lot actually, in favor of publishing or, or in favor of China, in the sense that they del- delayed some of the. Um, um, messages that the COVID that the SARS-CoV-2 virus was really harmful and they said they, that the that there's no human to human transmission even though people knew better at the time so that basically put the put the rest of the world in a position where it became harder to prepare for that, for, for the virus. So, yeah, if the WHO was truthful from the beginning, which is really sad because it's one of the less corrupt institutions out there in the health space, I think. It was, at least. So, that's changed now. But if they had been more forthcoming with the information, then, um, yeah, countries like Italy and Spain may have been uh, more prepared. USA also and therefore in a better position to uh, yeah, manage the virus. But, yeah, that's maybe a topic uh, which you can go into very deeply, uh, but i rather n- not comment too much on the virus itself. Uh, yeah, it will take maybe another hour to really go yeah. in depth there, but, yeah. it's Yeah,
0: no, the, the only reason topic. I ask is because is you mentioned that And I heard it uh, somewhere else. I heard someone else, like another doctor or scientist or researcher, saying saying the same thing. So I just wanted to get your take on it. Um, What um, you know, like, so we're getting. I mean, because I know you, I know what what kind of viewpoint you have on health. But for our listeners, um, you seem to have like, um, you know, like you've mentioned, you don't just look at diet, you don't just look at exercise, you look at everything, the entire environment. Um, and, and how did you how did you come to these viewpoints? How did you realize that it needs to be a holistic picture when we 're looking at our health yeah that 's a very good question
2: so I talked about that I, 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 in the beginning, when I started exercising myself etc was over exercising i, I only looked at diet and exercise, and over time, I well, of course, man, many areas uh, got included there, such as um, the environment, um, gut function, mindset, etc., which can all uh, be very important. Um, I've basically, yeah, developed those views over the last few years. And yeah, uh, my mentor, Dr. Anthony Dubeck, has really solidified my view on many of these topics because I, I kind of um, went in the right direction with the air pollution, with the sound, but his perspective, because he's basically almost got 30 years of experience in this field and treating thousands of patients in Um, all kinds of complex diseases and um, helping them resolve their issues Um, that basically gave me a lot more depth in my approach which and and also a lot of systematization in my approach Uh, so understanding Mm -hmm. how all the pieces fit together and how all of the pieces also need to fit together in a sort of symphony because if you're if you're listening to music and um, maybe you're listening to Mozart to a symphony and there are no strings, uh, so there there are miss, missing pieces of instruments in that symphony. Then then it doesn't really sound as well as you would like to. And the same is true for health. If you if you do look at diet and do like at exercise, but don't. Don't um do anything with the e m f levels in your environment or the sound um, you may be, be you may be able to get away with that if you if you're pretty healthy but people with uh with chronic diseases or complex diseases for them the really the the whole symphony needs to be um, playing together so in that case, your mindset matters, your nutrition matters, your EMF exposure matters, your air quality matters, your breathing, your movement, etc. And if you fit all of these those pieces together, then people will get great results. If you don't, um, then yeah, healing will take a much longer time, and you might not m- might never resolve your issues. And and that's that's the thing you that, that you're seeing. So if you're looking in the in these Facebook groups, there you see people. Who've got like fibromyalgia or uh, diabetes for fifteen or twenty years, and they they're barely they're barely coming along. Maybe they got some improvement, so they they got a few fewer symptoms, but there's no full resolution or full um, full improvement towards a status of health. And that's that's yeah to really help people all of the areas need to be considered because just to give an example, again, um, if you look at air pollution, um, and just search for our WHO air pollution that you can see that, uh, that air pollution basically kills anywhere between seven and 11 million people each year on this planet mm. that that's, that's an insane number. Um, about three or four million of these are due to indoor, cu- indoor cooking. So in many developing nations, people are cooking out indoors, which releases a tons of particulate matter and other toxins into the air, which you then breathe in and which affects your health. But also in, uh, yeah, mo- most of the outdoor air pollution is in countries like India or China, but it's not still in uh, developed countries where I live in the Netherlands or in the United Kingdom uh, where James lives. Yeah. There's still tens of thousands of people dying prematurely, uh, prematurely every year because of air pollutants. Uh, yeah. So um, air pollution will also, yeah, it will, it has, it, it d- doesn't just kill you, but it also has wide ranging effects on, on your ability to breathe on your stress levels on your toxin load on your um, risk for diabetes your heart condition etc so uh, blood flow so <clears throat> if you just focus on on the diet and don't get the air air stuff right then, st- then your health will still be affected so uh, mm. um, oh, so that's what I mean with all of the pieces need to to work together to create a beautiful symphony instead of just focusing on one of them.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's like, that's where someone like you fits into this puzzle perfectly because you've done such a, such a, an absolute mountain of research and all of it. You've got so much experience on this. So I think that's really, you know, where someone like you comes in as a service because you know, if I'm a, a, busy, a busy guy living in London, I, you know, I'm working 50 hours a week, I'm commuting 10 hours a week, um, I've got no time to sit around and read and, and learn about all this stuff. So I think that's where something like your consulting services comes in, you know, because it's, it's, it's almost like a hack in a way, you know, you can throw some money at the problem and say, hey, I need some help. What am I doing wrong? Um, and I think that's very, very valuable. You know, I, I, used, to, I used to live in London for a short time. And um, I'd say 99.9% of people in London, you know, they might know about the, the poor air quality there, but they don't do anything about it. Uh, and there was, a, there was a short time where I, I had to catch the train, the underground in London every day to and from work. And within a couple of days, I noticed that I, I developed a cough. And I, it was a cough that I'd never had before. It was like scratching in my throat and like a weird little tickle that went on, you know, it went on all day. But it was particularly bad when I was waiting for a train underground. And one day I was standing on the platform waiting for a train. And I kind of, you know, I heard the train coming towards us through the tunnel. So I looked over and in the headlights of the train, I could just see this gray smog. But it seems like the gray smog is on the other side of the tunnel, right? You can't see it when you're standing there. You can't see it in front of you. You can only see it in a distance. And then I realized, I'm like, no, 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 this gray smog is all around me. And that's what I'm breathing in when I'm sitting on on this platform, when I get onto the train. Um, so then, when I realised that, I bought um, one of those like cycling masks where you kind of strap it over your face, and it's got a hopefully a pretty decent paper filter on it. And I started wearing that on the on the underground in London. And I'm in the the whole time that I wore that mask on that train, I probably saw two or three other people wearing a mask. No one else wearing a mask. But I tell you what, that like stupid, silly, um, ridiculous looking mask made the world of difference to my experience on the train. Cause I had yeah. to keep using the train, but that cough completely went away. Yeah. And I just felt so good because I, I knew at least in, um, in that context, I was doing a little bit better than I was.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful that you at least came up with a solution to reduce your exposure. And I know from a fact that in the London Underground, if you spend for for each hour you spend there, it's it's equals like smoking a at least several cigarettes and probably even more. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's basically no difference in 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 those two um, types of exposure. So and that's where people unknowingly expose themselves for years on end um if you go to your job every day through the through the london underground then exactly it will accumulate and not Mm -hmm. not only there but it's it's in the underground then if you're well uh, working in the city of london there's high pollution level there then you're getting you're getting into the office um if if there's air conditioning, they might recirculate all the toxins. If there's no good air filtration there, then over time, the toxins will also build up indoors. So even though many people don't know that. So um, there are some studies that um, the levels of indoor pollutants, if you don't have an air uh, purifier, are between two and 10 times as high as outdoors. So that's also where you get... Um, incapacitated again, so it's really it's really important, and it will wear you down over time. And yeah, there's no there's no easy way out of it. So that just shows you in how many different ways city life can can be detrimental to your health. So so there's there's the air pollution everywhere. There's the noise at day and at night. There's uh, horrendously high EMF levels uh due to yeah uh, high population densities there's the absence of light because if you're in between skyscrapers then um, yeah then then not a lot of, not a lot of sunlight will uh, will will get to you basically and if you're sitting behind windows then the sunlight won't, to, won't have the maximum biological benefits uh, sort of many ways in which people, are harmed even though they don't know they're harmed and yeah
0: yeah and you know another way of saying it is you know you said there's there's many ways that people are are getting harmed but another way of saying it is there's many ways that people can improve the environment because there's so many things you can do it's so many things that damage us so there's so many things you can do to remove those things
2: yes absolutely so if you work consistently on that then you can make tremendous improvements in your overall health that's true yeah,
0: I mean, um, you know, I know James has a long list as well. And, you, you know, my, my list of daily habits, uh, you know, if I had to like read it all out to you, it sounds ridiculous. To the average person, it sounds insane because it's like, well, when, when on earth do you actually have time to live if you're doing all these hacks and all these habits every day? Um, but, you know, you start slowly, you learn about one thing, you, you take necessary steps to optimize your life in that context. Then when that becomes a habit and you don't have to think about it anymore, then you learn about another thing and you optimize that thing. And then that becomes a habit. Um, so in regards to that, can you tell us some of your daily habits on how you um, mitigate whatever um, toxins you might have in your
2: environment? Yeah. So to talk about toxins specifically, uh, <clears throat> that's where mostly natural cleaning products come in like vinegar, etc. So, um ensuring that none of that you don't buy the cleaning products that um, that have multiple ingredients that are really um, yeah if, 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 you do, if you cannot if the average person cannot understand the list of ingredients that's included in such a product, then it's probably not not a great buy. so things like vinegar, sodium bicarbonate, borax are, are really great options. Um, it's not because just because it touches your skin, because your skin is basically your second mouth. So if you're not uh, willing to eat something, so uh, vinegar or uh, coconut oil, that's, that, that, that's something that you are able to ingest and digest and process as a human being. So um, that's not toxic. If you were to drink, um, well, the average cleaner in a the supermarket, then that okay. will, that will dramatically increase your toxin load if you would, would drink it. But most people are not really conscious that putting it on their skin will also um, force your body to process it. So that's one way you increase your toxin load. So um, the second thing would be to increase. Or uh, actually, decrease most of the um, the care products like uh, like uh, fragrances, like uh, moisturizers that you that you buy in the store. Like um, I haven't used most of that stuff for years, so uh, I've got like 95 percent down on that. But if you look at the average person, uh, men now, men too nowadays, men use Tons of beauty products. Uh, women even more, and they wear makeup, which, which contains heavy metals and many other toxins, which also increase your toxin load. Which, yeah, um, affects your brain function, increases your risk for diseases, etc., etc. So that's one way you can reduce your load. Um, third, a third way would be to ventilate the building you're spending time, t- time in. So. Over time, if you're spending lots of uh, time indoors, then CO2 CO2 will build up so because you basically uh, breathe in oxygen and you expel CO2. So if you not, never ventilate the room you're spending time in, and many people don't actually do that, so opening opening up the windows once in a while, um, even if it, even if it's for 30 minutes, it's a great way to let new oxygen come into the room and remove some co2 because the co2 the higher the levels are and you can basically yeah you know the feel some people know the feeling of spending time in a classroom where there are like 30 people or in inside of a bus those are really high co2 environments and that's also uh, with lower oxygen and that also makes some people uh, less energetic uh impedes their ability to think etc so those are some simple ways which you can decrease your toxin load.
0: Okay, that's awesome. And then and what about positive things that you do you know, in terms of your, your daily habits? So like not, not about toxins and, and the stuff that harms you. What do you do to, to make yourself you know, a little bit more energetic and a little bit more optimized?
2: Ah, yeah. Those are not only the, the 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 more simple things that most of your listeners probably already do: is wearing the blue blockers at night, um, getting some sunlight exposure to it f- throughout the day. If it's available here in the Netherlands, um, if not, then replacing that with artificial light. So at least a red light therapy device or and a, a UV light basically to create some vitamin d for the skin uh getting movements eating a high quality diet so a diet that's specifically targeted towards my uh biological individuality for for me that's specific, that's that's more closer to the diet that uh, brian is using so lots of meat for me actually but oh, also um, some vegetables yeah. uh not not too heavy on the carbs etc so I, I perform pretty well on that. Um, breathing exercises, so breath holds. Yeah, lots of movement. Um, exercising maybe three times a week. Uh, mm-hmm. 30 minutes a day, 40 minutes a day, not more than that. So that that's all keeps me perfect.
0: Okay. And um, what kind of workout program are you doing right now? Because, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, uh, you, know, you used to train like a savage when you were younger, five five heavy days in a row. Um, so what's, what does your actual training look like now? What kind of workouts are you doing?
2: Yeah. Yeah, may, maybe it's interesting to say a little bit more about that. So e- even a few years ago in 2017, I was training quite heavily, yeah, insanely hev- heavily actually because I was basically doing drop sets on squats and uh, really heavy squats like over – over 440 pounds, so 200 kilograms that is. I've, I've basically, my best squad is little under 600 pounds at age uh, 21. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's pretty heavy. That's why I've got these uh, three-trunk legs, so <laughs> <laughs> I can see them. Uh, but yeah. That's so insanely heavy that I've, I've cut, cut, like I already said, I've cut down on that. I only have on one kettlebell right now. So it's uh, 56 kilograms So that's a little over 120 pounds kettlebell. And I basically play with that uh, two times a week and go for run, one run or sprint workout. And that's basically it. So,
1: so what's your, what's your goal? You know, obviously you've got quite a wide variety of, you know, training sessions that you're implementing. What, what's your end goal? Uh, it's just maintaining my strength levels
2: basically right now. Even though surprisingly, by cutting down on the volume of work, I've become a, became a little bit stronger this year, this and last year. So it's still going up. But even though it's not specifically my goal, but yeah, I, I I'm basically more than strong enough for health purposes. So nobody needs to. For, for health, if you want to be healthy, nobody needs to squat 400 pounds or do 300 pound benches. That's that's absolutely not necessary. Even though that's, in a way, the traditional mainstream view of health is that by becoming really ripped and strong, you're amazingly healthy. But yeah, man, many of the people who who train like that over years, and especially if steroids are involved, I've never used that stuff, but if, if you do that over and over again, it will burn you out. It will, yeah, all, all of that physical stress increases the nutritional needs of, of your body over time. So um, it can, yeah, it can uh, burn people down. So my goal is basically to maintain my health, not do anything excessively, uh, the workouts are just nice. It's it's not yeah. It's it's intense, but it's not really long. So maybe in 30 minutes I'm done usually. And the the, the more important thing is the movement throughout the day. So going for a walk. Um, make sure you're not you're not sitting uh, 12 hours straight and or or eight hours straight behind your desk uh, without moving every hour at least. Um, that's more important for most people than uh, going balls to the wall in the, in the gym and uh, trying to compensate for all the, all the bad choices because, yeah, <clears throat> many people actually use workouts basically as a way to get high and to feel good. And um, if you're not feeling well, Without intense workouts, very intense workouts, then it's usually a sign that you're using exercise as a drug to stay high, but that you're also burning your body down over time by doing that
0: that's that 's a great point actually and it's, it's something that i've you know in the last um, maybe in the last year i 've really started implementing into my own workouts, and that is that is not working out like you say balls to the wall and and constantly frying your nervous system because if you're lifting really heavy or really intense, that's it's really taxing on your nervous system because you release all those stress hormones and uh, you know the growth hormones. Um, and if you're constantly spiking that every day, your nervous system never really gets to relax. You never really get to go into you know the the parasy- parasympathetic nervous system, what we call the rest and digest, and since I've been paying a lot more attention to that fine, not working as intense and really prioritizing my sleep, I'm a lot more relaxed. I'm a lot more chilled out. Um, I actually feel like I'm, I'm gaining more muscle and more strength because my body actually spends way more time in rest and digest. It spends way more time healing and repairing than you know when I was also younger, just working out as crazy as you can so that you always feel that burn and you're always feeling that pain. So that's a really great point. I'm glad you brought that up.
2: Yeah, yeah, and of course, sleep. That's that's something that really needs to be be prioritized for most people. So that's also a, yeah, it's, it is a choice to prioritize sleep because uh, many people are just getting by throughout the week, and then they Mm. try to sleep in on weekends and try to compensate, even though that's not really possible. So you need to get. Yeah, ideally, but that's not possible for many people, but ideally you'll want to wake up without an alarm clock, make sure that you're, that you're slept, you've slept sufficiently every day. And that's kind of a luxury I have because I can plan my own hours and I don't have to get up at a specific time. So I just sleep until I'm rested and then, uh, I go on about my day, but even if you don't have that possibility, at least you can try to manage your sleep every night by by wearing the blue blockers, so that you're just so that you're getting tired early enough, so that you sleep for well, depending on your on your unique biology again, but for most people that's seven to nine hours, um, making sure that you get that and. Once you've got that, then yeah, your life getting will, out of bed. <laughs> will be very, your life will be very different than just getting the five or six hours of low quality sleep every night, which is mm, more yeah. So and it's, and that's and that's why like thirty, 30 to forty percent of people are chronically sleep sleep deprived because they don't prioritize sleep.
0: Yeah. And it, 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 it even, it sounds crazy, but it takes discipline to prioritize your sleep because, you know, if you're, um, you know, if you're a busy parent, you're working a full-time job, you're a full-time parent as well. Um, it's, it's so tempting to be like, you know, I've, I have to do this work. I got to stay up until 11, 12, one o'clock finishing this work. Um, and even for myself, you know, with, with red light rising right now, we're, we're getting really busy and it's, it demands a lot more of my time, a lot more of James's time. Uh, James is a new baby as well so he doesn't have the luxury like we do but I'm, I'm finding that it's I have to be really really disciplined to look at my clock and be like it's time for bed no matter what I think I've still got to do no matter what's still on my mind like I'm forcing myself to go to bed at exactly the same time every night I'm getting my full eight hours I'm waking up before the sun I'm waking up and I'm you know I'm getting through my my daily habits before I have to start work and sometimes it means that you know work has to wait until the next day but you know if you look at any any successful businessman any successful um you name it athlete or you know health coach whatever they all tell you prioritize your sleep don't sacrifice your sleep because you know if you're not sleeping well you can't do everything else as well as you'd like to so it's that's something that um you know it's super super important and i I think we're going to. Definitely have a, a an entire podcast uh, dedicated to sleep in the future for sure. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. mentioned a, a fifty-six uh, kilogram kettlebell. Yeah. How, how on earth do you move that thing? That's incredibly heavy.
2: And you just lift it up and put it off. <laughs> you make <laughs> it sound so casual. Are yeah. you
0: doing? Are you doing fifty-six kilogram shoulder press for that thing?
2: Yeah, I can do it. Yeah. Even even without a warm up, actually. So. Uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah it will be heavy but yeah i've trained it's just like you need to have a basic level of muscular tension inside your body to handle those kinds of weights but once you got uh once you get used to it it becomes well like second nature so i might lift that two or three times a week Without much of a warm-up, but that's maybe also a difference between me and many other athletes because I'm 33 now, and most people who have been training very hard at my age, they've got all all kinds of injuries like mm. uh, torn their pecs or shoulder injuries, elbow injuries. And the one thing, the one thing I didn't do wrong uh, <laughs> when I was younger is training through pain. So I know a lot of athletes, people, people also near me who uh, always trained at whatever the cost may be. So these people basically thought, well, I've got an elbow injury, but if I don't train through it, I'm, I'm a pussy. And then over time, that that is really what breaks your body down. So fortunately, even though I trained like a, like a savage, I still listen to my body and didn't tra- train through injuries. And that has basically kept me healthy, um, kept my joints healthy, kept my... Yeah, get me mostly injury free for all that time.
0: Mm. That's amazing. Um, have you heard of Strong First? No, Strong? Strong First. It's a um it's it's um run by Pavel Tatsulin, who's the guy who brought kettlebells to the USA, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Oh, uh, he yeah. kind of introduced the West to kettlebells. So, Strong First has um, a, you know, they, they do a bunch of different training programs and they got one called Taming the Beast. And Taming the Beast, um, one of the uh, movements is a 40 kilogram overhead shoulder press.
2: So yeah, it, I, I, I know baffle very well, but I haven't kept up with uh, reading on a strength scene in the last five years or so. So, I know the Beast Challenge exactly. It's a pistol, a pull up, and a uh press right
0: exactly Uh, and it's with 40 kilograms so if you can do 56 kilograms you can just you can go for it tomorrow and you'll get it yeah most people have to train fucking five years for it
2: (laughs) yeah that's amazing with the 56 i will will be able to do the the pull-up i'm not sure because my maximum pull-up in the past was maybe two or three reps a chin-up with a chin-up grip, so it's underhand grip with fifty kilograms added to my body weight, which was body weight was two two twenty pounds. But that's yeah, the pull-ups are more di- more difficult as a guy of my size. But yeah, yeah, with training, I would be able to do it.
0: That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so you know the the basics of health. You know, what would you say is you know we've we've got kind of gone a little bit deep into this. But what's um, what's probably the basics that anybody should try and um, get covered? You know, maybe get some help uh, to get their basics sorted out. But what would you say is the three
2: or four? You know,
0: the pillars of good
2: health. Um, The most important thing, if I have to choose, maybe it will change tomorrow again because I have to think about it a bit. But at least, yeah. Get some blue blockers for the nighttime. Make sure you get some light exposure during the day. Move a lot and make sure that you're breathing throughout your nose 24-7. Except mm. when talking and eating, then you can open your mouth, but in, at other times you don't. Even during heavy exercise, you have to slowly get used to nose breathing. Mm.
0: What's the importance of nose breathing?
2: It's <clears throat> Uh, It increases air pressure, Um, so it also helps filtration uh, throughout the nose, so at least uh, pathogens like viruses um, have less of a risk of infecting you if you nose breathe instead of mouth breathe. But the the biggest problem with mouth breathing is that basically people start to breathe quicker and quicker over time, And and for optimal health, you'll want to breathe pretty slowly and through your nose. And The reason for that is that breathing is not about just uh, about oxygen, but also about CO2. And the slower you breathe, the more CO2 your body will uh, retain, and that CO2 is basically important to deliver the oxygen to to yourself. So, um, yeah, if you're if you're mouth breathing and doing it quicker over time then you'll expel most of the co2 from your body and that basically means that even though you're ingesting a lot of oxygen your body cannot use it correctly and then yeah you your health will really deteriorate over time so the yeah mouth breathing is is a big issue that many people have to deal with uh, it's more complicated than that but the the simplest thing to think about is basically uh you only need your mouth for uh talking and eating
0: (laughs) great (laughs) that's a good way to think of it um is there like is there any anything that you can that you know of like off the top of your head where people you know they they might open some trendy magazine and they want to feel better they want to feel healthier so they, you know, they grab some trendy magazine and is there anything that you think people are doing where they're actually, uh, you know, doing themselves harm, more harm than good by blindly adopting a, a supplement or blindly adopting some technology, some health technology, anything top of your head you can think of?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a big problem in the health scene because... Even online, if you look at people in these Facebook groups or on Twitter they're switching from one diet to the next, then they say they see some new technology gadgets, technological gadget like a very strong PMF device or a few new supplements and most most yeah for most people it's basically a shotgun approach, just trying ev- everything and not knowing they're not really knowing whether anything works because they're not measuring and quantifying anything so then then it's just a guessing game and you don't have any data to go off on to determine what works and what doesn't so if there's one thing uh that I think people shoot themselves in the foot with is is just randomly trying tons of supplements uh different diets if you're if you're a bit um consistent in it and systematic in it, then it might be good to do it that way just to try a bulletproof diet for three months and then uh another diet for three months but yeah it's it's a very hard way to try to improve yourself because you don't really know what works and it will it will. It's actually the hard way to do it because it will cost you lots of money, energy, and years of your time. Even mm. though you can you can do it quicker. So, um, <clears throat> so that that's my point. Uh, so just to go to talk about the supplements. That's something also mentioned early on. But if you don't know your zinc levels, then it's then it's not smart to take zinc. If you don't know. Um, yeah, the way your immune system functions, then it might not be the best way to take all kinds of immune boosters, etc. So, yeah.
0: <coughs> so it basically, it comes back to you know, like like we said right in the beginning, quantifying, um, yes. yes, finding out ways you can quantify for yourself, or you know, getting someone like yourself, a functional medicine consultant, um, to do the work for you, or to at least help you do the work. Exactly. exactly. So, so, do you do you think it's um wise that people kind of follow health experts online, or you know, is that can that be considered research, or do you think it's a good idea to follow people?
2: Yeah, uh, there's a danger in that, in some sense, um, because. Yeah, even in my case, some people like my stuff on Facebook, but they tend to blindly... F- yes, some people also tend to blindly follow me or anybody else in the space. And I do think that that's really important to also... Yeah, double-check experts um, and also have a f- simple litmus test because if you if you agree with any health expert including myself 100% then you've probably not done your research and you should probably dig deeper because if you really go down into the details then you'll you'll probably find out that you disagree with somebody on some point so mm. people Yeah, even if you follow Dave Esprey and you like everything about him 100% and don't disagree with him, then you've probably not dig dig deep uh, deep enough into the topics and research. I also understand that most people cannot do that because there's just a time limit in how much time you have in a day. So, of course, that's important. But, yeah, there's still a difference between a putting somebody on a pedestal and worshiping the person as a guru or trying to think as critically as you can, even though you don't have the time to double check all the facts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, and um, you mentioned uh, something about um, your mentor, Dr. Beck. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about him and uh, we'll, we'll definitely leave a link for his work in the show notes as well.
2: Yeah. His uh, he he basically created a functional medicine approach called Balance Protocol. Um, yeah, I've I've uh, also had some education in that, and it's really different in a sense that also from other functional medicine approaches. Actually, it's really different in the sense that if you if you or yeah or somebody else goes to the typical. Functional medicine doctor or practitioner then what they usually do is oh um, let's do some testing and they still try to medicate people with supplements so if you've got adrenal fatigue even though that thing doesn't really exist in the in the specific way that many people assume so it's a bit of a misnomer but many functional medicine doctors will diagnose. Um, adrenal fatigue in somebody, then they give you the list of supplements to take, like vitamin C, uh, maybe some ashwagandha, maybe some magnesium, some B vitamins, a couple of other herbs. And then with the supplements, you basically need to take them um, at infinitum. So without any, plan to get off them again so in that sense most of the functional medicine stuff that you see out there is really really the same as regular allopathic medicine which which gives people prescription drugs for longer periods of time without without any plan you get off them again so what makes balance protocol difference is that you of course, we use supplements um, when appropriate, when you've tested for uh, for a specific need in somebody. But there's always a plan to co- to come off of the supplements in the long term. And uh, yeah, of course, you will keep monitoring uh, clients over time to see whether the approach is working, are the deficiencies that they used to have are they gone now, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. There's no taking supplements for life and ending up with a list of twenty or fifty supplements that some people take for almost ever, uh because that will also drive um nutritional overdoses over time. So
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. And secondly, maybe the difference about the approach is that there's also a huge emphasis on the environment and also other factors like uh like gut health, mindset, liver function, etc. But that also that, that comes later in in the protocol. So environment is always number one. Um, and the reason for that is if, yeah you can you can do all kinds of things like take probiotics for your gut or uh do mindset work or try to do a liver cleanse, but if your envi- environment is so poor or um or very bad, then it's just yeah carrying uh, carrying water to the sea it won't it it won't bring a fundamental solution so the bottom line or at least the foundation is always environments which you have to start with and that yeah that basically. Goes against the common saying that all health starts in the gut. So, in a sense, all health starts in an environment and only after that, because even EMFs, uh, sounds, etc., will affect your gut function. So, there's a sequence to it, in in a sense, mm. to the balance protocol that makes it unique.
1: Okay. But are, are there any supplements that are on your kind of long term plan that, that you think have a place for a long term strategy? Yeah,
2: that also depends on the context because, yeah, even for many people it is magnesium that's that's important. But I wouldn't go very far to say like take zinc or take B vitamins or take uh, curcumin, which can also be detrimental, or even CBD oil can be detrimental. That I wouldn't. That I. So I try never to give a universal recommendation that's true for everybody. So even with the CBD oil, some people, uh, that's something that Brian talked about uh, a bit uh, with the resident digest stuff. So uh, some some people are parasympathetically dominant, for instance, and these people are like the really relaxed, easygoing yoga types uh, by nature. And if you supplement, Uh, cbd all in these people mostly these people will not have the the um the best results so in most cases a really fired up type a personality will have more benefit for from cbd also there's no universal recommendation there i also know that when i talked to brian in in London, he talked about how some people were uh, really helped in a sleep by doing the red light therapy just beforehand, even though that's not true for most people. and some people, it is true. So, that, yeah, those kinds of things make it really difficult to make universal one-size, one-size-fits-all recommendations.
0: That's a great point. Yeah, I, um, I recently got my hands on some CBD oil, and I was really, really excited because I've never tried it before. Um, I heard such great things about sleep and all that. And I'm tracking my sleep and the CBD did zero for me. Did absolutely nothing.
2: Yeah, that's possible. And of course, you're in Guatemala, so you've got good light, uh, good sunlight, uh, not that high air pollution, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, No sound pollution or noise pollution, uh, good sleep. Um, So you're actually already living most of the life that I recommend to people. So that's, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it, um, you know, sometimes people say to me like, Hey, what's, what's your top biohack? What do you recommend? And I always say, move to a hot country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Move, move where the sun is shining.
2: <clears throat> and it will improve. Lo- yeah. If a diabetes p- patient or somebody with lung problems is living in London and I can guarantee you that if they step on a plane, of course, they'll, they'll be bomb, bombarded with EMF during the air flight. But afterwards, once they step out of the plane in Guatemala and spend maybe a, maybe a few day, days or even a day, will make these people notice all of the difference in the world in their health and in how they feel in how they think, etc.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, we're coming, we're moving towards the end of our, uh, show right now. So we, uh, we're going to pick your philosophical brain a little bit, Bart, because I know you have a, a master's in philosophy. Uh-huh. So we always do a, um, we always do a little, a stoic reading. Uh, I've, I read a book called the daily stoic by Ryan holiday. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but basically it's a, um, it's a book on stoic philosophy and every day has a date and every day you're supposed to just read that page for that day and you know have a little think about uh, the stoic points that it brought up so i won't i won't say what date it is because we're not 100% sure when we're going to release this so if it's okay with you i'm going to um give a short reading from the daily stoic and then if anything comes to mind we can uh, have a little chat about that and then uh, we'll move on and uh, get to uh, our last part of the show yeah that's great do that so this page is called carpe diem let us therefore set out wholeheartedly leaving aside our many distractions and exert ourselves in the single purpose before we realize too late the swift and unstoppable flight of time and are left behind as each day arises welcome it as as it the very best day of all and make it your own possession we must seize what flees. That was Seneca. You will only get one shot at today. You only have 24 hours with which to take it. And then it is gone and lost forever. Will you fully inhabit all of today? Will you call out, I've got this? And do your very best to be your very best. What will you manage to make of today before it slips from your fingers? And becomes the past. When someone asks what you did yesterday, do you really want the answer to be nothing? So, um, that's, uh, for me, that's a great page because, um, you know, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I had probably the worst experience of my life where um, a girl that I thought I was going to marry, I was virtually preparing to, to move to the USA to marry her. Uh, we split up and then less than 24 hours later, my mother had a stroke. And so it was the absolute most shocking time of my life for me. And that's when I really got the bug and I realized like, this is it, man. Life is fleeting. It's time to stop messing around in careers that I didn't like in cities that I didn't like. Um, you know, I had a life that I just wasn't into anymore. And it was making me really, really miserable. So, you know, I suffered great pain and then I realized no ways, man, like like life is here to live, life is here for every day and it's, you know, two years later, it still keeps me going, man, you know, like if I feel complacent, I think about my mother in a wheelchair and I think, no, 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 this is not how my life is going to play out, you know, so that page is really meaningful for me and I don't know if you guys have anything you'd like to say.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting because if you look at the statistics, I think something like 75% of people are um, in jobs they don't really like or at least not not fully enjoy. So in a sense, it it is really easy to continue the life that you don't really enjoy and have a job at maybe at a call center or in a profession that you don't like or um, doesn't really matter. You're spending time with friends you don't really like or, Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that even the Stoics there can teach us a lesson. And that is that um, the Stoic principle of detaching from your emotions, because at least the early Stoics really thought that all emotions were, basically a problem and that human beings only had to be governed by reason. So and that means that by realizing you're not living the life that you should be, maybe should be living or want to be living, and knowing that you will be well at least you will be confronted with fear or anxiety or um desire or many other things in making the life that you want happen that by not taking the emotions so seriously and not letting them really rule you that you will have a greater ability to basically live the life of your dreams eventually
1: yeah beautiful absolutely and carpet m sees the day i think it's now is the time to take action take control of your health and dictate your future path, whether that's, you know, looking after your fitness or your career, your family, you know, find what motivates you and really use that to drive you forwards.
0: Mm. Beautiful.
1: That's really nice.
0: Okay. We've got four more
1: questions for you,
0: Bart. And these are just really quick fire, rapid questions. Um, you know, one word or one sentence answer. And the first one is what's your favorite book?
2: I think I would say it's Immanuel Kant's Critique of Judgment. It's really an 18th century philosophy book in which he really works out his difference between, and that's also relevant for the conversation we're having right now, the difference between really mechanistic movements, which you see in physics like cannonball shooting and organisms. And um uh, for organisms according to Kant there's not really a cause and effect um um a cause and effect mechanism that's 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 really identifiable but it's really intertwined and nowadays uh that kind of Thinking about organisms has resulted in something called complexity theory, which is applied in financial markets, etc. But I also think that it can be applied to the human body because in a sense, um, everything in the human body is interrelated. So there's no human being that and even the human being cannot be truly separated from the environment. So in a sense, the environment you choose to live in will affect you and will be intertwined with you, but also the many systems inside the human bodies, everything from your mind to your gut, to your skin, that's also intertwined. So, um, the classical type of thinking, um, focusing at, 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 uh, mechanistic, um, movement that's that's something that you really see in many well in many phd projects trying to really zoom in on the biochemistry of one single process and trying to understand that and or the 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 different thinking about organisms or complexity theory or however you want to call it really sees tries to first understand the whole so um and only from, from the perspective of that whole and all the parts and how they interrelate, only then dives deeper into uh, very many details.
0: Wow, okay,
2: cool. Critique of judgment.
0: Uh, favorite hack, one favorite hack, health hack? Uh,
2: then I'd go for the blue blockers. Really simple, but amazing difference for many people.
0: Beautiful, completely agree with that um and i suppose that'll be maybe is that perhaps your favorite tech as well your favorite bit of tech
2: or have you got something else in mind yeah pick it as the yeah it's it's really nice as a favorite tech for me because it's really simple um everybody can can and should use it um and even though it's really simple you can make it more complicated because you can get all kinds of Different styles of blue blockers, and it tells something about your personality, etc. So it's both simple and complex, I think.
0: That's true. That's a great point. Um, and w- finally, one small piece of advice that you, if you could go back 10 years and tell yourself, what would that piece of advice be?
2: Mm, that's a really nice interesting question what would i say i would say uh quit the insane workouts cut it down to three times a week for 30 minutes or something and spend the time that you not only the time but also mostly the energy spend it on developing yourself in other ways
0: beautiful that's absolutely perfect awesome bart it's been amazing chatting to you um Do you want to let people know where they can uh, track you down? Do you have a website or a a blog or an Instagram that people can find you on?
2: Yeah, uh, I kind of detest social media. So my Instagram is not that updated, but people can find me at www.barthworldless.com. And uh, yeah.
0: Okay. And that's uh, B-A-R-T-W-O-L-B-E-R-S.com. Exactly. Um, for anybody listening out there, Bart, um, I never really used to be a blog reader uh, until I met Bart and uh, started looking at his website and started reading his blogs. They are absolutely phenomenal. Um, we could go, we could have a podcast episode on every single one of his blogs. Um, Bart, I think you're an absolute genius. Uh, I really value your work. Thank you so much for coming on with us.
2: Um, and, Thank
0: uh, you. Enjoy the rest of your day.
2: Yep. You too. And yeah, have lots of fun in England and Guatemala. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. If, uh, if you feel like it, please do us a favor, head over to iTunes or wherever you uh, get your podcasts from and leave us a, a review, leave some constructive criticism. We're pretty new at this uh, and we're trying to deliver the best podcast we can. So if you've got any feedback for us, we'd really love it, guys. Thank you so much. Until next time, this is Brian from the Project Red podcast saying goodbye to James and Bart. See you later, guys.